You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. The U.S. has indicted two hackers working for China's Ministry of State Security. U.S. and allies are said to be planning a joint response to China's industrial espionage. Twitter sees suspicious customer support traffic. Microsoft issues an emergency patch for Internet Explorer. Facebook continues to struggle with transparency. New Knowledge's CEO acknowledges a questionable experiment in social media manipulation. And Newsflash... The Russian embassy hack was brutal. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Thursday, December 20th, 2018. This morning, the U.S. Justice Department unsealed yesterday's indictment of two Chinese hackers, Zhu Hua and Zhang Xilong, whom it connected with a long running extensive campaign by China's Ministry of State Security to steal intellectual property from at least 12 countries. Initial reactions regard the indictment as containing damning accusations against Beijing, especially long-standing and systematic violation of that government's undertakings to restrain itself with respect to industrial espionage. The condemnation appears to be international. The U.S. is expected to be joined by the U.K., Australia, Canada, Japan, and Germany at least, in an announcement of joint action against Chinese cyber espionage. CrowdStrike's co-founder and CTO Dmitry Alperovich commented in an email to us that, quote, it is unprecedented and encouraging to see the U.S. government, joined by so many international allies, taking a decisive stance against Chinese state-sponsored economic espionage, end quote. CrowdStrike has been among the security companies reporting what's generally regarded as a surge in Chinese industrial espionage. The scope of the Ministry of State Security's interests has been very wide. The sectors targeted include, and aren't limited to, biotechnology, defense and aerospace, mining, pharma, professional services, and transportation. Alperovich went on to praise the indictments as a significant step toward holding China responsible for cyber espionage in the service of economic competition. He said, quote, while this action alone will not likely solve the issue and companies in U.S., Canada, Europe, Australia, and Japan will continue to be targeted by the Ministry of State Security for Industrial Espionage, it is an important element in raising the cost 
and isolating them internationally. Quote. The indictment says the two indicted men were members of APT-10, the threat group also known as Potassium, CVNX, MenuPass, Red Apollo, and of course Stone Panda. China also remains under suspicion of being responsible for the breach of EU diplomatic cables. Beijing denies responsibility, as one would expect. Whoever was responsible seems to have accomplished their espionage through simple phishing. When you ponder which of the 50 states in the good old U.S. of A. is leading the pack in cybersecurity economic development, certainly California is among the usual suspects, along with New York, Texas, and our personal favorite, Maryland. Sarah Tennant is strategic advisor for cyber initiatives for the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, and she makes the case that Michigan deserves a closer look. So Michigan is the capital of the global automotive industry. So I'm sure when you think about Michigan, you think about automotive. Mm -hmm. Um, But the future of automotive is mobility. And Michigan is really the place to be for business and researchers and entrepreneurs looking to shape the next transportation frontier. So a world of autonomous vehicle design and advanced manufacturing has to include cybersecurity. So cybersecurity has really become that focal point that is the umbrella that goes across all industries. And so one of the efforts that uh, you all have spun up there, you have some new uh, cyber ranges at uh, Northern Michigan University and University of Michigan Flint. Uh, What prompted uh, these efforts? Really, this again was prompted by our governor's vision for the state. He created a cyber initiative in 2011 that had a vision of um, unclassified cyber range hubs where talent could train, test, and really become that central focal point uh, as a cyber resource in the state. So a cyber range hub, if you're not familiar with uh, what a hub is, it's really a magnet site for the community that brings people, schools, and employers together to be part of the cyber ecosystem. So the hub sites are really meant to host events, exercises, and training classes where companies can access virtual infrastructure for product development, testing, and demonstrations. So can you describe to us what's the relationship between uh, industry and government and the universities themselves? I suppose there's a lot of collaboration between the three? There is. Cybersecurity really has to be a collaborative effort, and we recognize that early on. We can't do it without industry. We need to know what industry's needs are. So these hubs um, have industry's input. So we have advisory boards with the hubs that will bring in industry to let them know what their needs are. Um, And industry can help to really define what happens in the hubs and what the needs are for them. And really, it becomes that talent pipeline for this industry as well. Uh, We're talking about an an industry, the cybersecurity industry is something that, while it has been around for a long time on the network side, the physical cybersecurity industry is a new and emerging market for Michigan. And we're looking to focus on that as well. And we need we need input from industry for what their needs are um, so that we can not only train upcoming talent, but also the existing workforce needs. We can't wait 10 years for the kids in, in high school to come out of school. We have an immediate need now. Now, the work that you do with the Michigan Economic Development Corporation, um, how do you get the word out? What's the pitch that you make to startups to tell them, hey, Michigan is the place you want to be? So what we talk about with startups is if they're looking to get into that physical cyber system, so if they're looking to get into the mobility industry or aerospace or defense, they have access to the client in Michigan. 
So we have such a robust industry here and it's it's a large industry, but it's a really small network. And we can get them we can get them connected with those big OEMs, both in defense and auto. Um, so we really want them to be in a place where um, they have access. Michigan is the epicenter for automotive R&D and defense R&D. Uh, so we want to, we have the ability to, to connect them with the people in industry that they need to be talking to about their, uh, about their products. What we really want to make people aware of is that Michigan really is a leader in cybersecurity, and we really are thinking. We are thinking about cybersecurity in a very holistic way. While we promote collaboration for businesses, we're creating a robust talent pipeline. And if people are looking to get into the industry or bring their industry to a state, Michigan is a state to be. That's Sarah Tennant. She's from the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Twitter observed a large volume of unusual traffic to its customer support site early this week. The social media company thinks it might be receiving some unwanted attention from potential hackers in either Saudi Arabia or China. The incident remains unclear, but it's clear enough for investors to have shied away from the company's stock. Late yesterday, Microsoft issued an out-of-band patch for an Internet Explorer vulnerability being actively exploited. It's a remote code execution issue in the scripting engine's handling of objects in memory. Facebook continues to suffer from its long-running accretion of bad news. The Access, the New York Times reported that Facebook-granted partners may have been less nefarious and less extensive than it sounded. Ars Technica looks at what Facebook said it actually shared, and how, and why, and concludes that a lot of what the New York Times described seems to have amounted to application integration of the sort that few users would find objectionable. Unfortunately for Facebook, a lot of people are in a mood to dismiss Facebook's explanations as just so much logic chopping. The social network and its explanations did acknowledge a desire to deal more transparently with its users. Their response to the story said in part, quote, Still, we recognize that we've needed tighter management over how partners and developers can access information using our APIs. We're already in the process of reviewing all our APIs and the partners who can access them, end quote. But the Times story was damaging because it revealed that there was more sharing going on even after Facebook had told everybody they'd come completely clean about their practices, post-Cambridge Analytica. This week's reports on Russian influence operations during recent U.S. elections hit with considerable eclat. One of the more insightful brief takes on them came from The Grug, who blogged Monday, quote, I think it just reveals that the Russians were another super PAC in the election. The only truly unique thing they brought to the table was the hacked emails and documents. That was special. Quote. How pack-like the operations were is indicated by an admission that came, oddly enough, from the head of the company, New Knowledge, that produced one of the reports. Jonathan Morgan, New Knowledge CEO, said with expressions of an uneasy conscience that he had conducted an experiment in Alabama's closely contested special election for a Senate seat last year. Morgan says he created an inauthentic Facebook page to see whether he could do on a small scale what Russia's Internet Research Agency did on a larger scale. He also bought some retweets for less than 10 bucks, he said, to measure the lift he might achieve in social media messaging. He says it was too small an effort to have helped the Democratic candidate, who in any case lost to his Republican opponent. Almost a thought experiment, AL.com quotes him as saying, 
We'd like to offer some clarity here. If you do the experiment, it's no longer a thought experiment. But that aside, Morgan says that now, in hindsight, he probably shouldn't have done it. It's an interesting question. University researchers have found themselves wrapped up in comparably murky studies conducted online. There's so far no obvious Internet equivalent of a medical center's human subjects research review board, or none that we know of. Perhaps the community might give the matter some thought. RT complains that the Russian embassy in London was subjected to a brutal hack earlier this week. Apparently, its press web pages were rendered inaccessible for a period of time. The hack, RT and the embassy hint darkly, appears to have been mounted from somewhere within Great Britain. If nothing else, the complaint shows some elasticity in the foreign ministry's understanding of the meaning of brutality. A few hours of downtime, that's brutal, but Novichok nerve agent left around town? Come on, that's just the kind of stuff any sports enthusiast would have in their kitchen, right? Between the protein powder and the creatine. Sure, maybe your local GCN doesn't carry Novichok, but brutal? Nothing to see here. Move on. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And joining me once again is Rick Howard. He's the chief security officer at Palo Alto Networks, and he also heads up Unit 42. That's their threat intelligence team. Rick, it's great to have you back. As we record this, we are heading into the holidays. Uh, I don't know about you, but I am ready for a long winter's nap. And uh, one of the things you wanted to check in with was uh, maybe a way to kick back and sit in front of the fire, perhaps with an adult beverage in your hand, and enjoy a good read. What do you you have to recommend for us this this year? Exactly. That's what we should be doing, a little downtime going into the holidays. It's time for family and loved ones and a little relaxation, an escape, shall we say, from the hustle and bustle of the year. Yes. Uh, And what better way to idle away that time is to curl up with a good book. You know I'm a big fan of reading cybersecurity books, especially from my cybersecurity canon project. Now, right. So the first book I want to recommend is William Gitson's 1984 landmark novel called Narromancer. Have mm. you heard of this before? I am familiar with it. I haven't read it, but I certainly know of it. Well, it's, it's really fabulous, uh, just the history of it. For not being a geek or a cyber anything, Gibson invented and clarified our cybersecurity language 10 years before it became mainstream. He, hmm. he coined words like cyberspace. 
He launched the cyberpunk genre. He pontificated about a sci-fi trope called the singularity. He guessed correctly that hacktivism would be a thing and understood that we would all need some sort of search engine long before any of us knew how vital Google and other similar services would become. Hmm. He received multiple book awards for this one and is often quoted as having one of the best ever opening novel lines. And here it is. The sky above the port was the color of television tuned to a dead channel. Yeah. Mm. That's fantastic stuff. Yeah. So the main Neuromancer character is Case. He's a world-class hacker cowboy. He And Gibson refers to all hackers as cowboys in the book. And he's kind of fallen out, uh, from grace. He ends up joining a misfit team, the leader, Armitage, kind of an ex-military person. There's an assassin, Molly, a beautiful cyborg. Uh, the techie, Finn, he's the prototype scrounger. You know, he gets all the stuff they need to do their missions. And the mentalist, Peter, a psychopathic mindbender. All right, hmm. so... And the reader is never really sure what the team's ultimate objective is until close to the end of the story. But along the way, we get plenty of kung fu between the assassin and every bad guy we meet, uh, lovemaking between the hacker and the assassin, and mm -hmm. a verbal description of what it means to hack that is eerily similar to how modern computer games gamers play today. Here's the thing. What is not to like about this? Why would the cybersecurity geeks of the world love a story where the loser hacker can win the girl, <laughs> hack for a greater good, be critical to a super ninja's purpose and ultimately be the hero of the story. All right. So the cyberpunk elements make the story fun, but the hacking, copulating, jitsuing elements make the story sore. And at least for a geek like me, it's fantastic. So, <laughs> right. Escapist uh, fantasy, right, Rick? That's exactly why I'm in cyber. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's book one. Yeah. Second book. Okay. And this is my favorite hacker novel of all time all right and i know that's a that's big bold statement um, but i will defend it to the death it is neil stevenson's 1990 novel called cryptonomicon uh, the story revolves around a multi-generational family a dot-com family in the 90s and a family in world war ii but the story has everything in it gold treasure hunt World War II commando raids, code breaking at Bletchley Park, the importance of Dungeons and Dragons to people like me, <laughs> you know, jaw-dropping complexities of 20th century banking, the necessity and procedures for getting the correct ratio of milk to Captain Crunch kernels in your morning cereal. This is an important <laughs> thing for geeks. Uh, the horrors experienced by soldiers and civilians in the Philippines during World War II and the significance of cryptological systems in our state-of-the-art world. Not to mention two love stories and a glimpse of some interesting his historical figure figures like Lieutenant Ronald Reagan, Alan Turing, and General MacArthur. All right, mm -hmm. And as you might expect, this is a dense read. So this is not a novel you're going to get through in a weekend, but one of Stevenson's great gifts is his ability to juggle many seemingly unrelated and interesting characters within the story and then surprise the reader about how they all are connected at the end. So Cryptonomicon is packed with ideas. Take your time with it. Savor the journey, though, and find your favorite parts. And like I said, it is my favorite hacker novel of all time. And you should have read it by now. Good recommendations. And uh, at least one of these... Uh you can sit by that fire and uh, relax and enjoy your winter break. So, Rick Howard, thanks for joining us. Thank you, sir. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security 
by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for Cyberwire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. Hey all, Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud, the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cyber criminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the dark net, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire.